0: Welcome back to ranking 76 where we are ranking the heroes and villains of the American West. I am Eric
1: and
0: I'm Matt. And today we have a completely different subject than John Wesley Hardin, because boy, did I need a palate cleanser after, after after researching him. So yeah, that was
1: pretty depressing.
0: <laughs> wasn't it? Uh, not that I want to keep talking about him, but I did a little bit of a math fumble when I was adding up all of his points. Um, Normally I keep it on a spreadsheet that does it for me, but I tried doing it a phone on my calculator, my calculator on my phone and it failed me. So John Wesley Harden's official points are actually eighty-seven point five, which means he's only point four of a point away from Jesse James. I think I said it was like eighty one. So my most sincere apologies. It'll probably happen again. But we'll fix it. So anyway, enough about him. Let's move on to someone completely different. And I know for a fact you have never heard her name. In fact, have you ever watched the show Hell on Wheels? Never. Never even heard of it. Okay, so then you're not even going to recognize. I'm going to send you a picture. And I want you to guess. Who it is? Uh, I want you to describe. And then you can guess. Uh how yep. Okay, so she's
1: a younger gal with like a bunch of tattoos on her chin.
0: Yep. I don't know. Lizzie Borden. No, I don't know. Nope, not Lizzie Borden. She is Olive Oatman. If you've ever watched Hell on Wheels, she has a character named Evie Oatman that is based on her. The story isn't completely accurate, but a lot of the background is the same. But if you've watched Hell on Wheels, you have seen the blue tattoo that is on Evie's face. That is who she's based off of. Everyone else, you're gonna see the photo on the uh the picture that we put up for the for the Podbean site. Also, it'll be on our WordPress site if you haven't checked that out. So Olive Oatman. Olive Oatman. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Hope she's not as Frightful as Harden. Well, nobody is more murdery than Harden, so it's, <laughs> it's only can be more uplifting. So we got
1: that going for us.
0: Which is nice. Olive, born on September 7th, 1837, to Mary and Royce Oatman, Oatman and is one of seven siblings. She grew up in the Mormon religion near Nauvoo, Illinois. They joined the Mormon faction that is led by James Brewster, who broke off from Utah. At, uh, after disagreements with Brigham Young. They become to be known as the Brewsterites, because what's the laziest name you can think of when your leader's name is Brewster? We're Brewsterites. We follow him? Yep, we're Brewsterites. Brewsterites, that's all. Are we Brewsterians? No, that's too difficult. Literally as much thought as I think they put into it. Their initial goal is to go to California, but James claimed that which James claimed to be was the actual intended place for the gathering for the Mormons. When they get to California, Brewster plans on handing out land to his faction in a settlement that he wanted to call Basham. Brewster heads the wagon train, and they leave with about approximately 80 emigrants and depart from Independence, Missouri on August 5th, 1850. Now, we haven't covered many trails yet as far as the Oregon Trail or something like that. Leaving in August is a bit late. Why? Because in August, there's still grass. You're still in the middle of summer, but you need to cross the plains where your cattle are going to need grass, and you need to make sure you're in the spring and the summer and you have time to do that. Leaving in August, not smart. In 1850, Royce Oatman and his family joined the wagon train, led by James Brewster. This is around the same time that gold is found in California, which sends, the gold, which sends a rush into the West Coast. Just like the local Plains tribes, these tribes are, well, again, not thrilled to have thousands of Americans crossing their land all at once. In fact, this is really, do you remember the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1851 in Red Cloud's episode? It's the same trails, for the most part. Going to hey, order. look, more people! Yay! Hip, hip. It's all connected. <laughs> After leaving in August, which again, really late to begin the journey. And then also keep in mind, 1850 is an incredibly busy year for the trails. Native American patience is likely to be tested with the last couple of wagon trains since you've just seen a couple of months. The last few that are coming through, you're going to be really annoyed with than the first few that came through. The First couple of weeks are uneventful until about 100 miles into the journey. Arguments start over which trail to take, which is fairly common for trails. A teen then dies of tuberculosis, and then rumors of native attacks start to reach the camp. The Brewsterites follow their leader into Santa Fe, New Mexico territory, where Brewster, wanted to take the Santa Fe road, which was more difficult to navigate. Other families wanted to take the southern route. Now, why did Brewster want to take the northern route to Santa Fe? He wanted to collect his mail that would be waiting for him in Santa Fe.
1: Listen, I got something really important. I've been waiting on it for a very long time. It's just a
0: little bit out of the way. I promise you it's worth it. Do you know where my head went when I saw that? Do you remember in Billy Madison, nudie magazine day? <laughs>
1: going through a list of, or going through a
0: stack. <laughs> my mail's here. Many followers, including Royce, Royce Oatman chose the, the Southern route, uh, which would take them through Tucson. Royce Oatman even takes command uh, of his, of the train in New Mexico Territory in early 1851, only to find the country almost impossible to cross, other wagon trains eventually abandoned with the goal of reaching the mouth of the Colorado River. Then the Oatmans, if it wasn't a cross hard enough to cross already, the Oatmans reach the Rocky Mountains, and the travel comes to a crawl. After a death of another case of tuberculosis really hits morale, then snowfall descends further delays. Tribes would then appear in the camp more consistently. Mostly friendly, but immigrant, the emigrants become suspicious when the natives stop showing up altogether in camp and, in fact, realize that some of their horses and their cattle were now missing. Royce's solution is to soldier on. But he then wears out the oxen, and by January 1852, they barely reach Tucson, Arizona. Then they reach Maricopa Wells, just a few days after that, where they were told that not only is the wagon train still going to be difficult, but now the native tribes in the area are now hostile. They would be risking their lives if they continued without escorts.
1: Hey, you made it. Also, just to let you know, keep going and you're probably going to get attacked.
0: Stop right now. Seriously, this isn't smart anymore. You can't keep going. Many families choose to stay. Royce Oatman.
1: Nah, we're going to keep going.
0: Exactly. Guess how many followed him?
1: Just his family?
0: Just him. (laughs) Just his family. It's just them. Going into hostile territory by themselves, they're not going to get by themselves. Oh, jeez. Let's see what happens. The Oatmans are only about two hundred miles away from their intended settlement. Marianne, his wife, is nine months pregnant, which might explain why he was so determined to push on. He has a small family; his 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 wife is about to give birth. They enter Yavapai territory. A little-known tribe, not known, not known for attacking emigrants. But it's been a relatively hard winter for them, and they're starving themselves. Mm -hmm. As the Oatmans continue, the cattle become sick and die. Traveling through the desert brings on exhaustion and dehydration. As they cross a traveler saying that a tribe had just stolen his horses, and they hear reports of a nearby Apache massacre. Now, it's not clear if the Apache massacre actually happened, but there's another red flag for Royce to ponder on if he should probably just be turning nah, around. We're going to keep going. Olive herself boldly said that if they were attacked, she would either run away or kill herself before they got the chance to take her. They get to the banks of the Gila River, which is about 90 miles east of Yuma. In, modern day, in the modern day state of Arizona. They are about four days out from Maripopa Wells, where they were told you probably shouldn't go on farther. When the family is approached by 19 Yavapai men, Royce and the tribe share a peace pipe during which they are asked for tobacco and food. With few supplies, Royce himself is hesitant to share anything, but he does allow them to search their camp. Then the yabapai yell out a war whoop and grab their clubs. Oh no! They ambush the family. Royce is first to die and is clubbed to death. Olive's brother Lorenzo is struck in the back of the head, and Olive last remembers seeing him being placed near a small ravine. All of this is being pushed away when they attack her mother. They do not touch her and her small. They do not touch Olive or her smaller sister Marianne. Olive believes she fainted, but this may have well have just been a case of victim's amnesia. She may have just blanked out from shock. Right, what happened?
1: Did they kill her mom too? Yes.
0: Oh no, the poor She lady. isn't she isn't able to remember anything more in the attack. As the Yavapai ransack the camp, they take 14-year-old Olive and 7-year-old Marianne as captives. They are marched barefoot over the, over the desert and the girls see the outline of the wagon train in the distance as they're walking. Ah, oh, They were so close? They were close. Then they stop to camp and they watch as the Yavapai eat their family's food. The two girls are threatened with war clubs throughout the night. They march the next day in their bare feet and they travel so hard that their feet are bleeding by the end of the day. Marianne collapses, and when she does so, is beaten. (gasps) The Yavapai then carry Marianne on her shoulder. This repeats for about four days when the girls are sleeping in sand, just to keep warm at night. When the Yavapai meet a group of Comanche, a man, who he himself was just traveling with the Americans, shoots an arrow at Olive because she was just the next white person he saw. Clipped her dress. The two tribes barely avoid a fight themselves, and the Yavapai head home. While they get to their new home, the sisters are forced to stand on a pile of broken branches as the natives dance around them, spitting and slapping the girls as they dance. The girls are now going to be treated as slaves for the Yavapai. damn right that's heavy that's pretty tough i don't even know if they would have time to comprehend what is going on
1: one minute they're sitting there with their family
0: and then next they're being like beat and right Like that had to be, and even then you're, you're still focusing on like the trauma is still happening to you. You don't have time to process what has happened. Right. right. During their captivity, the avipai themselves feeding themselves little. Feed the girls even less. They would give the girls scraps and even would comment that the girls were eating too well. Marianne would fall sick but would still be expected to work. When she was unable to work, she was beaten. The girls plan to escape, but they're simply too scared to attempt. As the girls become more familiar with the Yavapai language, they soften to them a little, even asking them questions like, how many Americans are there? How, many, how do girls travel? How big are the oceans? Just so on and so forth. So they're starting to make an effort. While treating them as slaves, however, the girls were used to forage for food, to lug water and firewood. They were still beaten beaten frequently. They learned the Yavapai viewed the cries as a point of weaknesses. So in response, the girls would remain stoic when they were being beaten. Dang, they're like what seven and nine at this point? Fourteen and seven. Oh, for 14 and or 7. Or like 8 and 15. That's just going over the course of a right. year.
1: Whew. For an 8-year-old,
0: that's pretty tough. Yes. And Mary Ann, uh, it's just going to be a trend. Mary Ann is going to be sick uh, quite a bit. So she doesn't even, I mean, it's she can only really rely on Olive, who herself is 14, 15 years old. Right. Approximately a year after their enslavement, A group of Mojave come to trade. On a previous trading mission with the Yavapai, the daughter of the Mojave chief, Espagnole, saw the girls and their poor treatment and wanted to trade for the girls specifically. So they send a trading party out to the Yavapai to trade specifically for these girls. The Yavapai refused, but the chief's daughter, named Topeka, was persistent and returned once once more with an offering for a trade for the girls. Eventually, the the Avapai give in and trade the girls for two horses, some vegetables, blankets, and beads. Weird. And I think this is where, for those who have watched Hell on Wheels, Olive's tattoo is based off of Evie's tattoo. And I think in the show, the remnants of Evie's tattoo—the three vertical lines. She was traded for f- three horse, three horses, and like four blankets because there's four vertical lines pointing out the side. I think that's where that comes from. We'll get into that's not accurate, but I believe this is where the show pulls it from. After being transferred into Mojave c- custody, they're weary of their last journey that they just had after their parents had been massacred, the girls are obviously hesitant, but literally have no choice and they have to follow them. The Mojave did punt did push the girls on barefoot on a 10 day trek back, but for a slightly different reason. The Mojave were just barefoot themselves and were long distance runners. So to them being barefoot was It's like, yeah, I mean this
1: is what we do, guys.
0: Right. On the second day, they actually stopped and made shoes for the girls and promised that they would not travel with such long distances. Oh, wow. So
1: they're treating them way better already.
0: Yes. Which, when you think, because I had the same reaction, how small of a step is that basic humanity? <laughs> like, right? we're talking the bare minimum of treating people like people. And we're both like, oh, well done. Well done. You didn't torture them on a 10-mile hike. Congratulations, Mojave. Nobel Peace Prize. After walking for 10 days to the Mojave village near the Colorado River, which is near what was now modern-day Needles, California, they were immediately taken in by the family of the tribal leader named Español. The Mojave tribe was much more prosperous than the group that the girls were being held captive. And also, the Mojave have zero intention of keeping the girls slaves. They're just going to adopt them into the tribe.
1: And it's because of the, the tribal leader's daughter.
0: Uh, she Yes, so they had heard of the girls being treated by the Yavapai and said, we want to trade for them. We'll go into why in and really shortly, but yes, they okay. were the reason they came there. The Mojave themselves have been able to evade Spanish and American impressment throughout the last couple of centuries. They were largely undisturbed other than a few visits from fur traders who, liked, who really liked to trade for beaver. The Mojave did. As the Americans move, the Mojave are having second thoughts as the Americans start to move into the area and are using the trails they use. Their thought process was, if they adopt the girls into their tribe— and the Americans see how well they're treating the girls, the Americans will treat the Mojave well themselves. Okay. See how well we're treating them. Let's all be friends. Right. So again, Olive and Marianne are still a pawn. It's just a much better position. Yes. (laughs) It's still pretty bad, but it's still a better position.
1: They're a different chess piece right now. They were pawns. Now they're a different chess yes.
0: piece. But there's hope. Visiting surveillance would say of the Mojave, they gave permission to use the trail, but insist that they write letters back to their lady leaders telling how well the Mojave treated them. As then the traders were treated so well. Please, everyone, will you please tell everyone we're treating everyone great? Aren't Remember, when you kid? go
1: back, give us a five star review.
0: Yes, that's exactly what it is. Thank you for your visit. Come to our Yelp page and give us five stars. Now, what will make this episode a little bit different is we can actually kind of go in detail about the Mojave. So we're going to talk about the men for a bit. The men averaged at least six feet in height Were athletic. Uh, and were believed to really digest from a mostly vegetarian diet. The hair was cropped at the forehead, hung in loose bags down the back. Uh, and the longer their hair, the better. But Matt, these are not just normal native men. These men are hotties. Are hotties? Major hotties. <laughs> Good Export- looking dudes. Explorers in the early 20th century claim that the Mojave's, quote, especially the men were beautiful as they were described variously as majestic Herculean. Ooh, nice. And in one report, quote, as fine of men physically, perhaps there is in existence. A tradesman named Whipple, who's going to become an important part of the story later on visited during the time Olive was in captivity. Quote, speaking of the men, are in as wild state of nature as any tribe now within the limits of our possessions. They have not had sufficient intercourse with any civilized people to acquire knowledge of their language and their vices. Nonetheless, they appear to be intelligent and have naturally pleasant dispositions. The men are tall, erect, and finely proportioned. Their eyes are enlarged, shaded by long lashes, and surrounded by circles of blue tint that add to their apparent size. Their bodies and limbs were tinted with oil to make them appear as well-polished mahogany.
1: Ooh, man, what a great, what,
0: what great descriptions. It's David Hasselhoff walking on a beach in slow motion. I wish I knew the Baywatch theme. Everyone just less Hands under chin, just gawking at them. The yeah, little,
1: like the, the world just stops. It's like where someone, everyone just stops, but that one kid, and then they like get a ball hit in the face or something because they're not. <laughs> the right
0: Doesn't matter, and they don't even react. Right, to the ball they don't to the even react. Ball, right, that man. <laughs> in contrast, with the Yavapai men, one explorer compared them as hideous. <laughs> the Yavapai living like wolves in the mountains when speaking of the Mojaves, that same traveler quote, it was a real pleasure to see these finely developed forms as they came bounding towards us with (laughs) immense leaps over stones and brushes with the agility of a black-tailed deer
1: all about perspective, right?
0: isn't it though?
1: it's who you ask well, you can't tell by the way I use my looks outside the trap
0: ring, ring yeah <laughs> i think like so olive's 15 years old do you think this is the part like i think i'm okay being a captive now this is okay now i'm fine with this <laughs> how you doing a description of the women slightly less flattering but the women wore wet willow bark skirts that fell to their knees and tied at their waist, and wore nothing else. Literally, they were bare-breasted. The description of a man named Molhausen would say, The women were shorter and thick-set build. Their fine black eyes and cheerful expressions, they could not be called handsome by white standards. Women wore long fur cloaks, shell necklaces, and chin tattoos. They painted themselves more elaborately than they did the men, red and blue cross hatching over their torsos and a concentric circles around their breast. The women were more outspoken. Jedediah Smith said, quote, no Indian I have ever seen pay as much difference to the women as they are here, as they harangue the multitude as the same men. And when I say the women were outspoken, there was one story that cut me. It hurt me really much, a whole lot. Because the women, when they would see these explorers come up to their to their tribe, if you happen to be wearing a beard, we both have beards. If they saw you were wearing a beard, they would come up to you, do a little bit of a giggle. And then say that the beard reminded them as if you were a talking vagina.
1: (laughs) Uh, Excuse me while I go shave here pretty real quick. (laughs)
0: they would then put their hand up to their mouth as if they were about to vomit. That one hurts Man, my feelings. they're mean. It was fun when we were talking about the men, but now I've, be- I've just been compared to as a talking vagina. Wait a second. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> this isn't fun anymore. Another example of the women being outspoken and maybe a little bit more... They would react more than what uh, the white culture would expect their women to react to. When a visiting lieutenant came came across a Mojave across the soldiers, accidentally stepped on his foot, an old woman flew into rage and soon joined by others who berated and threatened the man with violence, implying that their warriors should come up and make us disappear from the face of the earth just for stepping on a man's foot. They were willing to wipe them off the face of the earth. Hey, it hurts. It does hurt, especially if you get that baby toe. Yeah, exactly. And think, they haven't even stepped on a Lego yet. <laughs> I, I, the world would have ended if that was the case. <laughs> There'd be no Lego. The inventor of the Lego wouldn't have wouldn't have survived. So the tattooing. How did Olive get her tattoo? Well, the method's pretty easy. You have to get it, right? In general, they painted their faces with a black and a red streak. From the hairline to the chin, they were known for their tattooing, and the face painted with both men and women. That's just the face paint. It communicated everything from military to grief over the loss of a child, depending on the pattern you had on your face. The Mojave women wore chin tattoos as a passport to the afterlife. Believing anyone without facial tattoos would end up being in a desert, would end up being in a deserted rat hole instead of being in the land of the dead. One day, after digging up some roots, all the Mary Ann were sitting in Españoles, uh house when the two, when two doctors approached them, instructing the girls that they should go out to the yard to be tattooed. They belonged to the tribe, and they needed their tattoo. So this is actually a good sign because this is them being accepted into the tribe because you're not going
1: You're one of us now.
0: Right. We want to make sure you can get into the land of the dead. You need this tattoo so we can recognize you. We care about what happens to you after you die kind of thing. The girls lay down in the grass with their heads on the laps of the tattooers who drew it with charcoal designs on their chin using a cactus thorn. They pricked at the skin in small regular intervals on their chin with a very sharp stick until they bled freely. They then dipped those same sticks into a juice with a, from a reed that grew on the banks of a river. And then, with the powder with the, of, from a blue stone that would be found in the low river, the stone then burned and then pulverized when applied into the pinprick patterns that they had etched onto their faces. And I think so also... I have a lot of tattoos. So like, this is basically just traditional tattooing that you can still get in, uh, I believe like it's bigger in uh, Japan, but yes, it's literally like they use obviously like a hammer and a pinprick, but it's really the same method. It's little pinprick, little thing to hit on the side or hit on the top and you just keep going. Very painful. I haven't gotten it done that way, but from what I've heard, a lot more painful than just the traditional uh, tattoo needle they have now. The procedure took a few hours, but it was the most painful during the healing process for over the next three days, they couldn't eat anything other than soft foods like roasted pumpkin so that the wounds would not open when they were eating. The Mojave prized broad faces. The tattoo patterns were designed to create and enhance that impression. The broad face tattoo, like the one Olive got, with wide lines stretched across the chin, highlighted her facial structure. So the, her design of the tattoo actually meant that they liked her facial structure. So they were outlining it. Yeah, they were highlighting it. like right, they, were, right. they were making, making it more making it appear right. more broad. Olive's clean lines and tattoo design indicates that she was cooperative. A Mojave elder named uh, Llewellyn believed that Olive would... Olive, like most Mojave females, chose to be tattooed because the tribe would never force tattoos on anyone. This will become important later. Some did resist chin, chin tattoos until they got older, and then they were persuaded to choose to get one in fear that they would not be accepted in the afterlife without their chin tattoos.
1: You either do this or, well, that's it for you.
0: Uh, It wasn't really that. It was... We're not going to force you to do it, but as they get older and they get closer to death, you know how like people when they get to retirement, then suddenly church becomes a really important deal in their lives. Kind of the same thing, like oh, I might actually be dying soon. If there's an afterlife, I'd sure like to continue it in the good place. Apart from her chin tattoo, Olive also had a vertical band on her upper arms, which is a typical tattoo, uh, for women. Mary Ann's pattern, however was never described or recorded. Olive's tattoo marked the first stage of her transforming into the Mojave, possibly thinking that she would never return to white society again, and she doesn't have any other family outside of her little sister. Maybe you could explain this with Stockholm Syndrome, but she does legitimately seem to be enjoying her time with the Mojave. During their daily lives, they lived and played on the Colorado River and would swim in the, for hours in its waters, and they would bathe daily, which is definitely not what was happening in the States. The flooding season would make good soil to plant crops. The desert sun would then help accelerate the growth for the crops. During hard years, they would eat roots. They would then catch fish, and they would rarely hunt, and they would only do so when there was not enough crops to eat. Basically, they, kind of, they thought all animals were sacred, so they didn't want to attack them, which is why they were on an all-vegetarian diet or uh, a vegan diet. Another part of the daily life of the Mojave, these people love to be in the bedroom. The Mojave considered sex a natural fun and emotionally inconsequential. Children witnessed at a young age because they lived in one room houses with their parents until they were into adulthood. Many children, many lost their virginity by the time they reached puberty. And most girls had sex soon after they began menstruating. They, the tribe encouraged teens to indulge themselves sexually while they could, so that by the time they're in the mid-teens, their mid-teens, the Mojave would have to, quote, add thrills to keep adding things lively, the Mojave would actually devote some time to thinking up sexual stunts to make the act more exciting. That is a lot of sex to make a teenager bored of having sex when they have to think of what else can we do to make this more fun. Gender. Gender. Children's gender was not considered fixed until after puberty, and trans was not only accepted but merited its own confirmation ceremony after which some homosexual Mojave then crossed over to become same-sex wives, or less often, even husbands. Which is not a paragraph I was expecting to read (laughs) in 1850s America, (laughs) and it only took a little-known tribe in southwestern uh, California. Naming. They could have very crude names. And without fear of having this episode having an explicit label, I'm only going to give you one example. One woman inside the tribe was called Charcoal Testicle. Why? Why? Yeah, I was just about to say, uh, why? Indicating that she likes so much that she burned men's testicles. Ouch. Which is kind of gross, isn't it? <laughs> uh, that would have hurt. I don't know if that's some type of STD. I don't know if that's just how much she went at it. Mm, yeah. Another example of a horrible name to be getting was actually Olive's. Olive was given the nickname Alutman or Allie, which Alutman may also be a play off of her last name, but this does again indicate she was adopted into the tribe. However, Alutman, she was given the nickname, can actually be translated into Rotten Vagina or sore vagina oh no now this doesn't mean she fully adopted the sexual views of the mojave most likely she didn't she was growing up she was 15 14 15 years old growing up in american society so i for her to flip would be really surprising what it likely meant is that she could have been menstruating when she was adopted into the tribe oh she like about that Uh, Right age, right? Right. Also keep in mind, the Mojave, uh, as hot as those men were, they did not want to cross uh, mixes, or they didn't want to have sex with other races. They believed it could make them sick and possibly kill them. So it would be out of, it would be weird for them to suddenly make an exception for Olive. Mary Ann was only called by her birth name, indicating she was either too young or she just simply wasn't accepted in the tribe. Okay, so that was kind of their, their daily life. That was our little sidetrack into it. Now, we can kind of go back onto uh, her narrative. Anthropologist A.L. Kepler wrote in an article about the o- o- Oatman captivity, quote, The Mojave always told, told her that she could go to the white settlements. When she was pleased, but they dared not to go in fear, fearing that they might be punished for having kept a white woman for so long, nor did they dare let it be known that she was among them. So now the Mojave are kind of in a catch-22. If Olive wants to leave, they don't know how the world Uh, is essentially going to react. Right, like just this gal coming back into like the... Right, back into uh, what they would
1: deem society. Right, right.
0: She's got the face tattoo. She's been living with them for. Well, that's just that we're going to get into it in in just a second. But that is going to be a hang up for Olive, because obviously we're talking about her. You sell her in a dress. She's obviously going. back. I was
1: just going to say, I mean, the picture, I know she goes back.
0: So the thought of her, because if she's adopting the tribe's ways, we just talked about the women are bare breasted tattoos. um. I don't know if Olive would want to see an American in that way, or that's one way to view it, or she just completely adopted into the tribe. It's really hard to tell. In 1855, in a harsh drought, leads to rotating, leads to rationing foods quicker than a normal season. Worst of all, for Marianne, who has always been sickly, she's even not able, she's not strong enough to work, and to gather food. Olive is accompanied by other Mojave on the expedition, but when they return, Marianne is worse. She goes with days without food, and Olive tries collecting eggs for her, but isn't able to collect some. The village then throws grieving ceremonies for the girls. Marianne sings songs with Olive at night, and tells Olive, Don't grieve for me. I have been a care to you for a while. I don't like to leave you. But you are not alone. God is with you. (sighs) She then asked Olive to sing her favorite hymn and told her that she was willing to die. The girl's adoptive mother, looking down at Marianne, quote, and wept with from the heart as loud as I ever saw a parent from a scene, nor keenly over a dying child. She sobbed, she moaned, she howled, and thus bending over and weeping, she stood the whole night. This is from her adoptive mother. So obviously, there's strong bonds there. Right. They obviously, people cared about them. Right. The next morning, Marianne dies. Jeez. They allow her, they allow Olive to bury Marianne at her request. Olive is now living among Mojave's alone. She has no family left. Or does she? <gasps> boom, boom, boom! Do you remember Lorenzo? Left at the side of the creek and his last thing Olive really remembered seeing. Our brother! Yeah. He made it. Let's go back five, a couple years, shall we? <laughs>
1: hey,
0: it's five years ago. <laughs> I suddenly don't have a beard. What's weird? <laughs> Unaware to Olive, she was not the last Oatman alive. Her brother Lorenzo survived the attack and woke up after the attack next to the ravine that Olive saw him placed next to. He walks back to the camp, only to see his entire family dead. He finds bread and hides to eat. He is then assumed that the tribe was gone, and he starts wandering the desert looking for help. He even passes out for a couple of hours. And when he wakes up, wolves are within arm's reach of him. Luckily, his sudden waking up actually scares them off. And he is forced to continue. He wanders the desert for the next couple of days and even contemplating cutting off bits of his arm in order to eat. Yeah, <laughs> that's heavy. Finally. He runs into two Pima natives. So another tribe, which had to be horrifying for him. Like horrifying and also like happy at the same time. These are the
1: people that just killed my family.
0: Right. Here's two more. I hope I can trust you. But I guess, I mean, at that point, do you care? Like if if this is I mean, you're talking
1: about eating yourself, so.
0: yeah, Yeah, I think you're fine with either one. At first, they draw their bows on Lorenzo. And Lorenzo cries as you would, they stop and they seem to recognize the face as this was actually, they recognize them as these natives were actually in Maricopa Wells a couple days back trading with the Oatmans. Oh, no. So they know. They know it's that family. I'm pretty sure, like, I'm not even pretty, I'm not pretty sure, but like they were warned. I would like to think there was a moment of, well, like, we want to tell you we told you so, but Hey, remember when
1: a few days ago we told you not to go on and you said, oh, I don't care and went on. Yeah.
0: And and your father said, we'll be fine. It's (laughs) I. The Pima natives hug him, give him a blanket and bread, and then they leave Lorenzo and go to the massacre site. And Lorenzo stays put. They gather up a few family possessions and return Lorenzo and start traveling. After traveling for two days, they run into the wagon trains that the Oatmans split from a couple days prior. Lorenzo rejoined the emigrant train and three days later returned the bodies to a slain and returned to the bodies of a slain family. In a detailed retelling, which was a reprinted newspaper over the next couple decades, he said, quote, We buried the bodies of my father, mother, and babe in one uncommon grave. The men had no way of digging proper ga- graves in the volcanic rocky soil, so they gathered the bodies together and formed a cairn over them. And it was said that the remains were reburied several times, and they finally moved to the river and re in the early uh, Arizona colonizer, uh, Charles Poston. Because obviously animals and skirt like, would keep digging them up. When they get back to Maricopa Wells, the commander in charge of the fort knowing... Because Lorenzo told them, my family's dead, but we can't find my two sisters. Knowing that two girls were missing, did not send out a search party, but instead blamed Joyce Oatman for the fate of his family. So he wasn't going to help? Nope, sure didn't. That son of a gun. Right. Unable to get news to any surviving family member back east, Lorenzo begins his new life in San Francisco for a wholesaler, but is forced to quit when he's injured and is able to work. He spends two years from job to job and moves from El Monte, moves to El Monte in 1854. An uncle reaches out about Lorenzo and he writes back, declining to head back to Illinois, potentially beginning school. So he doesn't want to go back. He doesn't. Also, like, I don't know if I'd want, I don't know how I would react if I was Lorenzo. I don't, I would either go off the deep end or never talk to another person again.
1: Right. Like you just been through like one of the most difficult, traumatic.
0: Things you can imagine. Also, you got to think you can't find your sisters. Your sisters still might be alive. It's not likely, but they still might be. Lorenzo, having the same thought, actually begins a writing campaign to recover his two missing sisters. He had no issues getting men to agree, but they would actually back out later. So he'd actually find people that would want to help Yeah, yeah,
1: I'm on board. And then when it came time, actually, I'm pretty
0: busy. Yeah, we can't do this anymore. It might be dangerous. A ransom is then set for the return of the girls. Which was translated into Spanish as there's a lot of Hispanic Latino population in the area. They plead to return Lorenzo's lost sister quickly when the translator then demands. Oh, God, not another
1: bad translator.
0: Kind of. This one isn't nearly as damning. But in the translation, uh, I think I know what happened, but in the translation, they say that the girls will need to be returned or 5 million men would hunt down the natives. <laughs> so I'm assuming the mill as like a thousand in Spanish. Maybe they meant 5,000 men or maybe they channeled their inner Dr. Evil and said 5 million men were about ready to attack. Either maybe way,
1: just trying to scare tactic.
0: I mean, 5 million would do it if you actually had 5 million <laughs> men, right? Translation issues aside, travelers do remember seeing a white woman among native tribes. Likely it's the Whipple Party that we talked about very briefly when they were talking about how hot the men were. A trader named Francisco heads to the Mojave camp and he remembers seeing a woman who may be Olive. A letter is sent to Fort Yuma asking for the women for the women's return or her reasons if she wants to stay. This now kind of starts a bartering campaign for Olive. The Americans know where she's at. It's also a heck of a headline if you can get her to return, and it's all about to come down in the Mojave. Olive is out grinding mesquite outside her hut when she is approached by a boy saying that a trader who had visited the Mojave a few months back, named Francisco, was in camp ordering her release. Thinking it was just a rumor, Olive asked for the sub chief and then he confirmed the story. The tribe meets to decide what to do. Olive is taken away by two Mojave and a meeting is commenced. Quote, My life was again hung up, she would later write. In a two day council, Española refused to return olive. The Mojave name, a Mojave man named Muskmelon later recalled telling Francisco quote, I would like to raise this girl. We traveled far to buy her. We like her and we want her to make friends through her. When those who come by us know how we treat her, they will treat us well too. If the officers want to see her, they had better come here and talk with me. The women are unhappy that she might be taken from them and told her so. After two days of talking failed, Francisco crossed the river to talk to another group of Mojave as the leader then advised him to offer payment for Olive. Francisco returned the second day and to meet with Española refused again. But... He does call for another council, this time with Olive present. Francisco promised uh, horses as ransom, along with blankets and beads. Talks went on from one day to another. Olive recalled, quote, with passionate eloquence and angry outbursts. The talks went on. Olive was then used a translator to read the paper presented by Francisco. Francisco. However, Olive being used as a translator seems like a good idea, but remember, she hadn't spoken English in about five years, so she was having trouble translating it too. Quote, I never expected to find so attentive an audience as I did then, Olive wrote. Mojave then tried to convince Francisco that Olive was not white but rather came from a race much like the Indians.
1: <laughs> oh, geez. No, which, no, no, this isn't who you're looking for.
0: Which had to be like a record scratch, because you would think that would be your opening <laughs> argument. Like, wait, you're bringing this up now. Now she's not the race you think we're claiming she is? Okay. <laughs> then, they question Francisco's motives, implying that he was going to take Olive into his own tribe and not back to the Americans. Francisco, at this point, is probably about ready to tear his hair out of his head. And he's near close to calling off the negotiation. He then cools down and says, If you don't believe me, just have someone follow me when we take her into the fort. You can come with us. It's fine. He then read the newspaper account that said that the 5 million men were about to come attack if they didn't turn her over. The el- an elder finally relented, saying, quote, We raised her so that if anyone wants her back, they can have her. Olive would be traded for two horses, blankets, and beads. She responded by bursting into tears. Topeka, the woman who initially traded for Olive and Marianne from the Avapai, Muskmelon, and others were going to travel with Olive on their trip back to Fort Yuma. For the first time in five years, Olive sat in a skirt, hands covering her face, possibly hiding her tattoo. And other than aging for five years, Her hair had been dyed black with the gum of a mesquite tree, and she was tanned. She cried as she was being led away to change into a dress and later to remove the the dye to her hair. So literally, as she is taking off, like, it's almost like she's had three distinct periods in her life. The American version, where then she translated into a Native American version, and now she's, like, shedding that version and going back into the American, like, part of her life. And it's all happening like over a weekend. There's a lot of emotions here. (laughs) One
1: minute you think you're staying and then all of a sudden, poof, nope, you got to get this on, get this. We're doing this. We're doing that.
0: Right. And all of this, by the way, Olive doesn't have control over any of this. I don't know if you noticed, Olive wasn't exactly part of the negotiation. They didn't say, hey, what do you want to do? Right. Now they might've, maybe it didn't matter, but She's she can only keep going along with it. A crowd gathered as they get closer to the as they get closer to the camp, and then probably what really confused Olive is that they're firing off cannons in celebration. Olive was not aware of the writing campaign that made her uh, basically a burgeoning celebrity. People were anticipating her to come back. When Olive gets into the fort, she can barely remember English at first. She has reported that she was whipped by the Apache, which is a misidentification. So a lot of the early newspaper reporting from her misplace the Yavapai, which are not very well known, and they replace them with the Apache, which are very well known in the area. And then she talks about how she was treated well by the Mojave she could only give a very simple outline on the massacre because I'm assuming she tried blocking that out as much as she possibly could.
1: And like she allegedly like passed out and stuff.
0: Right. Then she was told her brother Lorenzo was alive and fainted. How many emotions can one, can you have in one week?
1: You're like, where am I
0: going? What am I doing? <laughs> oh, by
1: the way, your brother's alive.
0: Ooh, yeah, that's it would break me too. I would be mentally broken by this point. Lorenzo himself is chopping wood when a man named Jesse Lowe gallops up to him on horse, showing Lorenzo a newspaper account of Olive's return. Not seeing Marianne's name, he does assume she has died, but they soon take off to Fort Yuma. News of Olive's rescue begins to break and the news breaks quickly across the the country. Olive becomes a curiosity as a, quote, white Indian. Newspaper calls her a pretty girl, but was disfigured by her blue chin tattoo, and it makes it very clear that she was not raped or forced to marry. Think of her more like sideshow attraction curiosity more than we care about her well-being. It was something for people to talk about in their parlor. Like, can you not believe what happened to this girl type thing? In the star column, a newspaper wrote in 1856, they wrote a two-column front-page story about the experienced based on an interview with Olive. In the interview, Olive talked about how they were whipped by the Apache. Again, it's still the Yavapai, but they cite the Apache how they were forced to give up their shoes before the Yavapai ran them into the mountains, dripping blood from their lacerated feet. The way when Olive's clothes literally fell off her back two weeks later. She had described that the Mojave as short-sighted farmers and hunters who planted and killed only as much as they needed for the moment. She painted them as an otherwise glowing terms. speaking of the Mojave. She told the paper about how Española treated her and Mary Ann as her own children. They were then not forced to work, but they did as they pleased. Olive and Mary Ann shared the Mojave food, and they were given lands and even seeds. Olive mentioned how her adoptive mother cared for her, and in the article she said, quote, speaks of the chief's wife in terms of the warmest gratitude. She would go on to say that when Olive left, the kind woman saved her life in a famine. She cried day and night for when she, as if she was losing her own child. Then they never gave up. Olive tells that she will always be. She was always free, and didn't know the way back. The Mojave didn't return her because they were afraid of retribution. Olive would tell how she wanted to return the Mojaves at times.
1: I mean, I bet it was easier.
0: Yes, like you just kind of accepted this new life. I don't know what I would want to do either.
1: I mean, I guess it would be really tough. Like you are doing stuff, you get captured, and then you learn their customs, their traditions, their everyday life. You start living that life for years, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it's like, just kidding. Now you have to come back into quote-unquote society, relearn everything all over again. It's like you're getting pulled ripped torn pulled right.
0: and think of the years that she was taken she was 14 like you're just beginning your own personality at 14 like you're really starting to develop who you are and now you're in a completely different civilization
1: i mean you're just turning into like a woman you know
0: yes and then never mind like even if you think we'll 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 talk about it later i could go down a big rabbit hole of what she was thinking and I have ever since I heard her name. We'll talk about it later. Uh, then a cousin pops out of the woodworks a cousin named Harvey Oatman who meets Olive and what sounds like for the first time through documents. And he just proves that, yes, I am related to Olive, which at first makes you go, this sounds like a bad situation. Why is he coming now? Yes. Why is he coming now? And I thought the same thing. How is he going to exploit her? Luckily, he seems to be a good guy. <laughs> Thank God. So I'll put that out just in a second. But he moves them to modern day Phoenix, Oregon, where Harvey runs a boarding house and a bar. In Oregon, while Harvey was building a home, Olive stays with another influential family, where she would spend the day sewing, which seems to be something she would do throughout the rest of her life, likely to relieve stress. Olive would later would also cover her chin, possibly to hide her tattoo. This may have been also a way, because that's how the, the Mojave showed modesty, is they would also like lower their faces and cover themselves. It may have been that. We don't know. Her melancholy led to rumors that she may have left a child behind, because apparently they couldn't just comprehend that the experience itself was traumatic. She's crying so much they must have had a child that she's missing. Likely, she never did. There's really no proof or evidence of it all of herself would never have children. But if you remember back, the Mojave did not want to have sex with white society. Anyone other, not even white society, anyone other than Mojave or Native right. Americans. It would have been unusual for them to have a child with her. And if it would have done so, the tribe would have noted it. For what it's worth, there's going to be a book coming out, uh, Royal Stratton, And she claimed in the book that she was never forced upon uh, in the book and her chastity was remained in place. But we're going to get into that book and why it's not the most reliable source. In Oregon, she seemed to really enjoy her life with with Lorenzo and Harvey, who they would call their cousin Harvey. They'd actually call him Harry. The family seems to have had a decent social life, would go to dances and social parties. In one of the few surviving letters, there shows to be actual love between the uncle and, or between her cousin and her, and her uh, between the cousins in like a platonic like relation, like in a platonic way. Quote, but if you knew what my feelings were, you would have never entertained such a thought. I will not attempt to describe my feelings for you with this pen until further. As I love you as devotedly as I as ever a brother loved an only sister. Remember me as your friend and well-wisher, and be a good girl until I see you ever afterwards. Cuz Harrison. Aww, isn't that nice? As Olive reacclimates into society, religion starts to become back into her life. Then they start going to church, where they run into a man who would pay into a heavy role in the last half of their lives, Reverend Royal B. Stratton. Royal is a well-traveled reverend with years of public speaking experience. He impressed Lorenzo so much that he asked Stratton to write a biography to help Olive tell her story. So Lorenzo invites him in. This is where the story begins to be a little complicated. The story that Stratton writes is Olive's, but there's a lot of embellishments in it. Stratton sensationalizes the account. Lorenzo and Olive were not very literate. Also, Olive had been speaking a different language for the last five years, making Royal's account very different from Olive's first newspaper article she was first interviewed in. He never mentioned that they were Mormon, but he does emphasize how strong the girl's religious feelings were while in captivity. The book uses words Olive likely wouldn't have known as a woman who missed a large part of her formative years with Native Americans. It very much reads, according to Margot Rifflin, it reads as if a person has been speaking publicly for years.
1: Lo and and behold,
0: huh? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. The book also contradicts Olive in multiple times, based off of the newspaper accounts. Mary Ann died in the wrong year, possibly to make Olive feel more isolated and more more of a heroine. This is also conveniently covers up the Whipple Expedition, which would have given Olive an opportunity to leave if she had chosen to. During the time period where the Mojave were preparing to go to war with another tribe, Stratton Clee claims that the Mojave vowed to kill the same number of captives as the natives would have in battle. Basically, they're saying if the enemy kills any of us Mojave, we're going to kill the girls. That's what it's being implied. He then adds a crucifixion scene while Olive was fired at with poison arrows.
1: Weird. I don't remember hearing that in the last hour.
0: I think Olive probably said the same thing. <laughs> Well, that's new to me. This is a really good story. Who's this? They said they're not
1: very literate, so they probably couldn't even read it.
0: No, I mean she could read um, some, but obviously not enough. I mean he he was really kind of given full reign. Think of like bad B movie type uh, story. According to biographer Margot Mifflin, Oliver goes along with a lot of the book. However, she really doesn't have much of a choice either she wouldn't speak out too favorably to the natives as it would look bad to the American reader. The tattoo would be thinned out in any illustration or simply removed. And while in captivity, Olive herself would have been bare-breasted, but obviously that ain't gonna fly with the American audience, so they put a shirt on her. In February 1857, the book is finished. Lorenzo pays to make the first 5,000 copies, and it quickly sells out. 6,000 more are made, and then those sell out. This is a hot story. The book came at a really good time for Stratton, and for bookmaking in general. Industrialization made printing a lot easier and a lot quicker, therefore more affordable. Women were reading, the, reading more due to better education, and stage productions also start to flare up. Lorenzo and Olive, for the first time, are having money to support themselves. They even attend a prep school for at a local college and only get halfway through the second semester before Stratton convinces them that they've had enough schooling and that they should go out there to sell more books because we need to milk this cash cow for all it is worth. He's convinced there are more sales to be made if they took the book to a larger market, and there is no bigger market than New York.
1: Quit your studies and come with me. Money to be
0: made. There's money to be made. When they arrive, a third edition is sent into production. Stratton starts to publicly campaign to capitalize on Olive's story uh, that has already reached New York. And when the book is printed in New York alone, 20,000 copies are made and then sold.
1: Dang, this book is...
0: A it's hot going. Commodity. It's going well. The book is now kind of becoming more of Stratton's vanity project. He now claims that he spent seven years studying the natives. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> the Oatmans now add uh, side stories. The Oatmans are now becoming like the side story rather than the story to him. During the first three editions of the book, Stratton's prologue just gets a little bit longer with each edition. With When there are more critiques on him, the more he addresses it in the prologues. During the tour, Olive was actually given a chance to speak during the lecture, which would have been very rare for a woman in the age. Margot Mifflin makes the argument that she was actually one of the first feminists, as she would have been one of the first well-known women speakers at the time when she starts speaking, in 1850s America. Olive, who began hiding the tattoo, now openly references it in her lectures. The tattoo is now her calling card. Curious cou- crowds would gather, at least in some part, to look at the tattoo. In order to get those in attendance, when she would speak, she would pull the, I will speak for a little bit, but read the details in my book. Very like late night talk show type thing. There is one surviving template from the lectures that make her story at least frustratingly muddy. She does a back and forth dance between taking lines directly from the book to openly contradicting the book. Words are crossed out, and can you guess who crossed out those words? Uh oh, boo, 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 boo. Stratton. It sure was Stratton, because who else would do it? For example, right after the massacre, Olive said that she and Marianne stood all night as the Indians plundered the the family's wagon, but for the words "quote all night" were crossed out and replaced with "quote nearly one hour." This is done because in the book, Stratton says the Yavapai rushed to make sure they were not caught by any other Americans who may be in the area. He also adds in little details, like the Yavapai spitting on the girls when they were at camp, or that the men cried when Olive was reunited with her brother at Fort Yuma. She contradicts the book in a few places again, like Mary Ann was 10 when she died, which would put her death in the fourth year year and not the second year, like listed in the book. She also confirms that Marianne died after the re- arrival of the Whipple party. So basically, remember when I said that Stratton had Marianne die in this, like earlier to make it seem like she was more to isolated? Sure, yeah, yep. So what happened is Olive probably told the truth, and Stratton was like, no, 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 no. We need to— I think
1: you're getting it wrong. I think right, you're getting this- it wrong.
0: I, I wrote the book— Just read, just read off of the book. How about this? Wonderful, man. Olive then claims that she had not only been a slave for the Yavapai, but now she was also claiming to be a slave for the Mojave as well. Her tattoo was proof of her being a slave of the Mojave, and that that tattoo was actually a mark for runaways as the Mojave slaves would be returned.
1: But didn't you say that the tattoo was for to get them, like, after they, like, to the land beyond?
0: Exactly. It was for the afterlife. It was to show that you were part of the tribe. Yeah, why
1: would they care if she was a slave? Why would they care if she had the tattoo?
0: Bingo. But an American audience isn't going to know that. So the tattoo is no longer a, you're accepted into this tribe. This is now another example of, look at what the terrible thing they did to you look and point at the terrible thing they did to her.
1: Please buy this book. And you can see it. It's very visible. Yes. There's no getting around it. it.
0: Look at right here. Because even when, even when, um, like in the beginning, her tattoo is very faint in like the first edition of the book. By the third edition, it was like he was like bold faced marker, 72 size font. That thing may as well taken up half her face. Like, you could tell, like, ooh, actually this tattoo can make us money. Let's let's emphasize on that, please. Dive in.
1: Make I mean, it. I'm looking at the I'm looking at the photo right now. It's not that like big. It's just her chin.
0: Right. But also in eighteen fifties, like no one had tattoos then. We're not right. far off from the eighteen seventies where people would be in circus sideshows simply for having because tattoos. The tattoo.
1: Yeah, the so, tattoo so, man or whatever.
0: Yeah and for some, and for a woman and the way stratton is trying to make her sound a meek american woman look how pious she is but look how they deformed her look at how they turned her into a slave she was only a slave to them right please buy my book
1: also our books on sale yes i'm surprised he didn't try and write a second book
0: get into that (laughs) in november 1864 olive marries a cattleman named john b fairchild they met at a lecture and she was alongside as she was alongside stratton in michigan fairchild had lost his brother to an attack of native americans during the cattle drive in arizona in 1854 which was actually during olive's time with the mojave olive stops lecturing now like really quick mostly because of John's family and himself were pretty well off. They had money on them for themselves. He burns any copies of all his biography that he can find. This is either, you can spin this well in either way. He is either a protective husband or an overprotective husband. Right. Which is, you don't know because they didn't really talk about it much. You hope this is John Fairchild as being, you know what? F this guy, F this book. You need to get away from him. Right. The cynical part of me thinks I'm in control now. You will do as I say, this is your old life. This starts like we're starting a new kind of thing. Right. But we don't know. I have no idea. Maybe Olive was only lecturing because it was really the only legitimate source of income she had the capability of making. With a husband, she could now resort back to normal social roles, and John was going to make, be the one to make the money in the family. This is a very easy to see it both ways as we just talked. Olive breaks ties completely with Stratton, whose life takes a step down who takes a downward spiral He was charged with adultery and gambling and is forced to resign from his congregation. His son commits suicide, which seems to really break Stratton, and is institutionalized and later dies in 1875. Jeez, his
1: life went downhill real quick.
0: It did. Well, it took like 10 years, but like the break from Stratton is almost as sudden. But if you're asking why he didn't write more books, it's because... Once his son committed, he, he got sidetracked. He kind of got celebrity chasing, um, got kicked out of his congregation. So, yes, his life takes a spiral. Olive and John Fairchild moved to Sherman, Texas, a boomtown ripe with for a businessman like Joe Fairchild, to start a new and prosperous life. They found a bank of Sherman, and together they live quietly in a large Victorian mansion. Olive was particularly interested in helping a local orphanage, and she and Fairchild would never have children of their own, but they did adopt a little girl and named her Mary Elizabeth after her, after each of their mothers, nicknaming her nicknaming her Mamie. Lorenzo, Lorenzo and Olive would write intermittently. Each would blame each other for not writing each other more. Glad to see that that trend never stops. Olive starts to develop migraines and starts to suffer from depressions. She would spend months at a time in bed and even has a few stints in the hospital. She would would die at the age of 65 on March 20th, 1903.
1: She lived a long life.
0: Yeah, she did all right for herself. And that was Olive Oatman. And now we get to rank her. Olive Oatman, Olive Oatman,
1: Olive Oatman.
0: Are you satisfied? This is our biography round. Matt and I are going to be handing out points from negative ten to positive ten, depending on how well satisfied we liked her story. How did you like Olive Oatman? Um, you know, it was very, very interesting.
1: Super sad in the beginning. I was thinking to myself, what the heck? Like, two sad stories in a row. What are we doing here? But, uh, I mean, you know, luckily she got out and, you know, had a decently long life. So, um, I, th- I didn't mind it. I thought it was super interesting. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say uh, about a six.
0: Yeah. I think... I have been fascinated with her ever since I started her. Like when I first saw her name, because at first, like obviously you're drawn in by the tattoo and then you keep going. You don't, there's so many ways to paint her story. She is either hated her entire stay with the Mojave and she was kind of like developed Stockholm syndrome Mm -hmm. and she accepted her fate and she was going to live on here for the rest of her life and then she's rescued and then then she realizes how much she didn't like living with the Mojave and then she meets Stratton who then takes control of her life and then she meets Fairchild and like at none of that does she have control of her life
1: right yeah I mean yeah when you think about it she never did have control of her life minus those few years with her uh, brother and cousin
0: right yep Yeah, that was probably the most free she was until she met Stratton. But you can also paint it as she really enjoyed her time at the Mojave. Like, they were actually family and it was hard for her to leave as, like, evidence of her crying when she was going into Fort Yuma. Like, it was hard for her to leave.
1: Well, I mean, and, like, their uh, adopted mother or whatever wept for, like, what was it? All day or all night?
0: Both when Marianne died.
1: Right. And when Olive left. Exactly. So, I mean, like, at least one person in that camp didn't, didn't like think they were terrible. Right. And, and based on the, like, the tattoos, they wanted her to, like, be known that she right. was part of the tribe. Right. So, like, I don't know. I just don't, I think it's hard to believe for me that she, what like, that she um was a, quote unquote, slave for them, too.
0: Right. Now, is that because of Stockholm syndrome? Did she feel trapped that she didn't have an option to leave? That we'll never know. Oh, right. Like she wanted she wanted to
1: leave, but eventually just resigned right. and said, yep, this is my life now.
0: Yes. Now. Right.
1: Yeah, we'll never know that.
0: You also don't know because that Whipple party did show up and she would have had an opportunity. Now, did she not approach them because maybe the Mojave were holding her back? Probably not that. Did she not go with them because she was afraid that, quote unquote, society would see her bare breasted and living as a native? I could believe that. Or did she actually just like staying there? So.
1: I mean, yeah, there's only one person that honestly knew the whole truth.
0: And it's her. And we can't ask her. (laughs) And I don't even know if she would know, to be honest with you. Cause there's right. even times when she's doing the book tour that there's people from the tribe come and watch the lecture or like they're in town and they watch it. And she actually has conversations with them and they hug and they share stories. And it just seems like very uh, like family, whatever, like we're together. This was a good, t- they're sharing fun memories. But then you see in the book now, either Olive went along with the book to sell more books, Stratton forced her to do it, or maybe there's more truth in that book than we give it credit for. That maybe this is more closely to how Olive felt than it's read. Now, I don't really believe that last part, but it's not impossible. But as far as the score, I think your six is a pretty good score. I think I just might match that. I think she's one of the more interesting people we're going to have as far as just like you can play around with her story so many ways. And you hope it, she enjoyed her time with the Mojave. She gained basically a new family. She met Stratton. That did wasn't working well for her. And she had found a good husband that took care of her. And you really hope that's the story. <laughs> but you just don't know. Next door or next round. Be sure you're all right and go ahead. This is our morality round. We're going to go from negative 10 to positive 10, depending on how well we think she was morally. There's really nothing here to judge her on, is there?
1: Right. I mean, she didn't, like, come to any choices.
0: Nope. I I will say I'm going to knock her off points for kind of going back on the tribe. Because even when they yeah. were leaving, even when she was leaving, there was like an understanding of like, can you please just tell the Americans that we're, we treated you well? And she kind of didn't do that in a well-publicized book. Did she have a choice in that matter? Probably not. But.
1: Yeah, I was going to say like probably like an eight. Really? Yeah. What do you think? Were you thinking lower?
0: I originally thought a high score, but then I thought like. A 10 is like you're an angel
1: right and And we
0: just don't have evidence as she like what did she really do to gain that eight so i'm still thinking it's positive it's probably like two or three in my mind oh wow because there's not
1: like what did she do above and
0: beyond you know yeah
1: you're right you're right so definitely like yeah probably like a four i would say because after five and above means you really are going out there
0: you were a good person
1: like and you're right. There's just not enough evidence in her story to say one way or the other.
0: Right. I would say, so like I gave Red Cloud a seven and my full, my full argument was he did everything for his people. Same thing for Tecumseh. Uh, all of my good scores are, they thought of themselves and then they thought of someone other than that. Other than themselves. Now, maybe right. that's unfair for Olive because again, I don't believe she really had control of her life at any point. But she also didn't do much. Now, she's not a bad person, but I, I don't see, like, top tier. So, seven is her score there. Next round, to hell with the consequences. Was she crazy or clever? We're going to hand out points between negative 10 and positive 10, depending on if we think she was crazy or if she was clever. I... I- I don't think she was really either. Was she? Exactly. I I don't know what a zero looks like, but I think this might be a zero. Yeah, like she didn't I was
1: going to say I was going to say the same.
0: Everything, maybe give her a point for what would I give her a point for? I mean, just surviving like just yeah, to she, be mentally sane after watching your family being murdered. And then realizing, oh, uh, then watching your sister die. And then, okay, I'm How the last of my family. And now my brother's still alive. I don't know what I'm feeling anymore.
1: <laughs> Having to go from one society to the next to the next, like re re coming back in.
0: I think I'm going to give her two bonus points for not breaking. Yeah,
1: that's 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 good. I like that. I'll You're do gonna, the same.
0: You're going to do two? I'm going to do two. That gives her a total score of four. So Olives, we're in next round. Now we're going to lock in Olive's score. If she had scored negative, we would continue to subtract points. But Olive right now is sitting at positive 23. So we're going to continue to add points to her. And our next round is, well, it's just not her round. This is draw. If Matt and I were good to get into a duel with Olive Oatman, how screwed are we? Zero, Zero. we're safe, or ten, we're screwed.
1: (laughs) I mean, she didn't... Zero. I mean, she wasn't a fighter. I mean, in that sense. She wasn't a fighter in that sense.
0: Yeah, there's really nothing to judge here on, is there? Nope. You can't think of one... The only, like, argument she had was... Like, there was a part of the narrative where she said... The Mojave were short-sighted farmers. That's because she actually tried showing them how Americans farmed, and the Mojave were like,
1: nah. "Yeah,
0: you you just want to control the." Inter- no, <laughs> we're not doing that. And that that's literally it. Like, that's that's not even that's a disagreement. <laughs> so right. if that's the worst of it, I can't even think. I can't even stretch something out. Other than yeah, I can't even stretch something out to maybe give her a half point. So I think it has to be zero. <laughs> So, zero. She didn't get anything there. Next round, Legacy. How well-known is she? We're going to add points from zero to ten. And I don't think she's going to do very well either. Hell on Wheels. Uh, oh, i have never even her... heard of that. So <laughs> It's a very good show. You should watch it. It's about uh, the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. It's very good. It has Common in it. Uh, oh, Okay. Yeah, it's very good. I I don't think it's still on Netflix, but if you can find it, it's very, It's only like five seasons. It's very good. Came out during like the Breaking Bad AMC, that era. Oh, uh, okay. I,
1: you know, I feel like, okay. I, th- I think I might know what you're talking about. I think I may have seen like a, a, a video or what like you know, a preview
0: or something. It's good. I, I, if you haven't seen it, I would, I would hunt it out. I, I want to watch it again.
1: But uh, she's not a main character, is she?
0: She's, uh, basically. Yeah. She's like one of the top four or five characters in it. But it's not to. Olive, it's Evie. Right. Now, her name is Evie Oatman. Obviously, there's a wink and a nod there. More than a wink and a nod. Like It's bit clearly based on Olive, because even the tattoo is identical. Right. And the background story is identical. I wonder why
1: they changed the name.
0: So it wasn't Olive. Because if you call it Olive Oatman, you have to take a different trajectory. Like, And they wanted a, an original character. And I would prefer comp- I would prefer TV series to do that, pay homage to it, and then do their own original story rather than call them the character, the, the story, actual the character,
1: or the actual, actual real yeah, person, real name.
0: Or else, then we get a Jesse James type legacy, which...
1: right? Where it's just like, oh, he's awesome. Wait, no, he's what? actually a psycho. What do you say?
0: <sighs> One. <sighs>
1: Yeah. I was going to say two. So yeah, we're about right, right there.
0: Yeah. I want to give her more cause I like her story. I'm not like, I feel like just like John Wesley Harden, you're not going to forget her or at least you're not going to forget the tattoo. Right. So
1: like, uh, if I see a picture or like a mo- uh, watch a Western or something and th- that a character like that's up, I'll go,
0: Oh yeah, I know her. Yeah. I know where that's from. So that's three points. Death bonus. How cool was her sto- was her death story? We're gonna hand out bonus points from zero to two points on if she thought we had a she had a cool death, and I don't think she did. No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, I she died of a heart attack. That's all. Dun 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 dun.
1: I mean. It's like, but we do this with every uh, figure that um, just dies of like old age or just lives out their life, you know? I mean, they just lived a
0: normal life after. Yep. And you really hope she lived a normal life after. Like, you really hope she has calm, peaceful, this is the life she wanted type of life. And not overprotected. That she had like no,
1: right. I hope not. That would be just terrible.
0: Right. Because then that. She controlled everything. And, like, granted, men in, you know, 18th, 19th century America obviously are going to have a lot more control. But, like, you hope at least she, like, she she was happy at I'm the very least. At least happy. happy. So, yeah, zero. Counting coups, she's going to do just as well. Her confirmed-ish kills, and she didn't kill anyone. That's right, not a surprise. No. Yeah, so, no, no, no deaths to her name. Nope. So that brings her final score score to 26 points which i believe is our lowest by far as far as positives nope do you know who actually did worse um i can't think of him william barrett travis the leader of the alamo because he got negative eight from us he got negative in uh be sure you are right you're right Otherwise, he was positive nine, negative eight, positive five, positive four, positive three point five, positive one. So he only went up to fifteen. He would have, actually, he still would have lost to Olive. He would have been two points lower because he would have been four. Hey, he's on my True team. That guy. How dare you? <laughs> so now we need to draft her.
1: So Eric's going to grab a coin and toss it in the air. I'm going to call it uh, whatever it lands on. Whoever was right, or if I was right, um, I get to decide if I was wrong. Eric gets to decide if they want to draft on our team. We each have a team of 20. Um, the rest will go into free agents, similar to fantasy football. And at the end, we will have a quote-unquote battle, my team versus his team. So are you ready, Eric?
0: I am. I have it flipped and it's covered, so you got to call I'm going
1: to say Tails. It is Tails. Yep. So I'm going to take her. I okay. think she was cool. I, I liked her story, so
0: I yeah, think she'll do well. I was going to draft her, so if you didn't... I think she, she's not going to be a sleeper. I think... Uh-uh. I think
1: she'd do okay for a couple of rounds.
0: Well, yeah, it depends on who she gets matched up with, right? Because she does have a really interesting story. Her score just doesn't show it. Let's hope so, she gets,
1: uh, let's hope she gets like William Barrett Travis.
0: Well, that's probably who I right now. That's probably who I would pair up with because. Dun, 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 dun. But, so yeah, right now, just to do a recap of the teams. And by the way, if you would like to see our teams, I'm going to keep them updated on our WordPress site where you can view all of our previous episodes. You can see the teams, any trades we would make. And then also I try to, I will load up pictures of just of, for the episodes. So Matt's team, because of a trade, he now has Billy the Kid, Calamity Jane, the two bad Jameses, Jesse and James Bowie. Tenskwatawa, Red Cloud and now Olive of Oatman so at least Calamity can talk to someone my team consists of Wild Bill Hickok Daniel Boone, Tecumseh, David Crockett, William B. Travis and John Wesley Hardin and one of these is not like the other on my team
1: oh Hardin you crazy crazy guy
0: yes, yes he was you psychopath. You're never going to get that look out of your brain. I know. Okay. With that, that is all we have on all of Oatman.
1: And as Eric just mentioned, our WordPress site is ranking 76.wordpress.com. If you go there, you, it will have all the links. Uh, we have a Reddit. We have a Facebook. You can view all the episodes. You can view the scorecards. And if you liked what you heard today, go ahead and give us a like and subscribe on whatever podcast service you're listening to. And we would appreciate reviews. We love looking at that stuff. So thank you. And as always, I'm Eric and I'm Matt, and we will see you next time.